Well, the boss called me up and said, come in to work. I just hung up on that slave-driving jerk. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. Well, you'd think I'd rather be sweating on a dock or watching somebody use a hammerlock. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. It's massive. It is episode number 10 of the Total Bees She's Show. I am producer Chris. He is the man with the plan. His name is Mike Davidson. Oh, and there he goes. He's popping it open. And how apropos, it is our 10 anniversary. 10. 10. 10 is 10. I hate when you use the word apropos, my friend. (laughs) It's such a non-wrestling word. Um, Yeah. Well, I'm breaking a rule again. I'm not going to talk about mainstream wrestling, but I'm breaking a rule again. 10. 10 anniversary? Yeah. No, it's our 10-week anniversary. I've got this Sleeman's can here that Stan the Man gave me, who works at Sleeman's apparently, <laughs> or he's or just, just a fan who just gave me two yeah. cans. They were they were cold. It's uh, what is this a Sleeman's clear? What is Sleeman's clear two point Yeah, I love it. You were saying something about it. How many calories does that? Have? It's awesome. It's it's light. It's easy to drink. It's only eighty calories and two grams 80. of. Two grams of carbs, which is great for me. I'm somebody who's a low carber. I can actually drink this and feel fairly. So this guilt- is probably good for my liver. Oh, definitely. Oh yeah. I don't good. know if I go that good. far, but it's guilt free. So ten weeks we've been doing the Total She Show together. This is one of the longest partnerships of my life, especially yeah. business wise. And I gotta say, feels longer. I'm just, <laughs> kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So ten weeks. Like I've had relationships that I thought were going to last forever that usually derail at week eight or nine. Yeah, yeah, heartbreaking. Those ten week those ten week relationships those are hard. Yeah, those are the they, hard they ones. hurt the they hurt the worst because all you saw was the potential. Yes. Well, we're into reality now. You know, we've had a good run so far, but you know what I've learned over the ten weeks, Chris? Promoters, I talk to a lot now. More and more every week, contact me. We we shoot the she's. Right. They get they get my version of what they could be doing better. And it's just all bees, she's right. I just throw an idea, throw an observation. And sometimes I bet you anything, they roll their eyes. Sometimes, sometimes they listen. One of the things they get a little pushy about, not pushy, defensive, not defensive, frustrated, maybe frustrated. Open yours up. Yeah. Have a sip, have a sip. But it's when I talk about what they should be charging. And I had a promoter last week challenge at the economy to scale and was saying to me, you say it should be $15 because it should compare to a movie theater ticket. Right. And he said, but you don't understand. It costs more than that to promote a wrestling show. And my argument is stop trying to only draw 150 fans, get to a place where you can draw 500 fans. And that needs to be your goal. So when you have 500 fans at $15, you have a very healthy amount of revenue to work with. It's the Costco model. It's not that easy. That's what they keep saying. So I'm going to change it up here. Economy to scale for independent wrestling. What should you be charging? Okay, here's the way it goes. Base ticket, $15. Now, if you did not pay to have an elaborate venue, you got one of those free venues that a lot of promoters are notorious for using. And if you didn't fly a talent in, and if you didn't buy radio advertising, if it's just your core audience that you're going after, $15 is where the price should start. Now. 
when you bring into it an elaborate venue, and our guest this week is yes. going to talk about one of the most elaborate venues I've ever heard in, in independent wrestling. I look forward to that. I'm not going to tell you it is. <laughs> and if you bring in talent, Danny Duggan brings in yes. Chris, uh, Chris, uh, James Storm. Winnipeg Pro Wrestling, uh, they, they run an elaborate venue. They do. Then your price should go up incrementally by $5, $5, $5. So you could get to $30 ticket price pretty easily if you're spending on advertising, if you're buying airfare and hotels for imported talent that hopefully has a big name. And if you are renting a yes. venue, yes. So then you can get to $30. I'm not going to sit there and say you're charging too much at $30 if you're investing in your in the growth of your product and taking pride in your product. But let me say this. If you run a venue you got for free, and if you run with a largely local roster, economy to scale kicks in and $15 should be the ticket price. Yes. It's up to you to promote a package you're proud of to say it's worth $30 and I'll give you credit when you do it. So over 10 weeks, guess what? We've learned $15 should be the base price, but you can get it up to 30 or even more. If you, if you're investing in your product, that's what I believe. Yeah. It's a, it's a value added uh, method of selling things. When you sell things, you have to add value. So you add on little bits of things here and there. It's just like your cable package. Sometimes they'll throw you a couple months of HBO as a value added thing. And it keeps you, keeps you locked into that value plan, they call it. This is going to be a week where I have pet peeves, Chris. Oh, hit me. One of my pet peeves is when Mr. Promoter doesn't do Mr. Promoter's job. And he says to his, his wrestlers, hey guys, you all got to sell, sell 10 tickets. I'm going to cut you in on the action. I hated that. It's not right. I'll tell you, when I ran WFX, and I'm going to talk a lot about that this week, when I ran WFX, I actually never went to the wrestlers and asked them to sell. Now, if they contacted me and they said they needed five or 10 tickets, we made arrangements to consign some tickets at the value. Right. But I never asked for it. You know why? It's an accounting nightmare for, for the person in charge of the money at the end of the night. Oh, you had out 10 tickets. No, I gave some back. No, you didn't, you didn't sign for it. It's a nightmare promoters. If you need your wrestlers to sell all the tickets, you're not doing your job. The wrestler, I, I talk a lot about, and tonight, and today, my big pet peeve at the end of the show is going to be about a wrestler who didn't deliver. Wrestlers have, when they agree to come and wrestle a show, on social media, they should be promoting that they're going to be appearing for you. They should be telling their friends, hey, if you want to see me on, right? But it should not be their job to sign out 20 tickets and move them unless they want to as part of a revenue package to push how much they can make in a night. And I think you're 100% right because I see it with some of the local local promotions here, especially at WPW. The guys that are on that show, they're excited to be on the show because they know it's a first-class operation. Yeah. So they'll push it on social media. That's what you want to get to. You want to get to a point where your guys on that show are so excited about it that maybe they want to sell a couple tickets or maybe they want to you know, bang it out on social media. That's what you want. Whereas I've seen other shops and I'm not going to bring up anybody's name. I had no idea there was a show running until I saw somebody post a result. Yeah. And you know what? We're going to get accused of picking favorites. We don't. But I will say we're invited guests to the next WPW show, September 9th. And I think we're going to go. I like all the promotions. You better not town. fight with me in public. I told you last week. I, well, I'll be you good. You better be on your best behavior. I'll be, I'll be good. I'll be good. And you better not be If you expect me to sit with you, I'm over-caffeinated today, Chris, because <laughs> it's the 10th week. It's a celebration. <laughs> but This is how Mike it, celebrates. If you, expect me to set, if you expect me to sit with you, I want you on your best behavior. I'll, I'll be good. All right. All Su- right. Coming up on the show today, I'm going to start the long 
long journey of telling you the story of WFX, even though it was short-lived. It's a long story. Um, we're going to have Eric Cannon, one of my all-time favorites. He had a big announcement, and we're proud to have him on the show to talk about that. And we're going to answer questions, and I'm going to tell you about my biggest pet peeve ever before the end of the show. I love it. One more sip of the crisp, clean Sleeman 2.0 before we go. This episode of the Total Bees Cheese Show is powered by FirstRow.ca, Canada's online collectible store where you'll find the coolest sports cards, autographs from your favorites, action figures, and of course, wrestling collectibles galore. As a loyal Total Bees Cheese Show listener, you can get 10% off your order using the code BEESCHEESE. Again, the code is B-E-E-Z. S-H-E-E-Z, one word, and receive 10% off your order. Firstrow.ca, Canada's online collectible store. All right, and now what we've been waiting for, Mike, I've been pestering you since week one it's been 10 weeks now You're our anniversary it's it's really difficult to get you to talk about this and really maybe not difficult but perhaps uh the subject matter you have to handle it with a little bit of kid gloves but we're going to talk about wfx and we're going to talk about how this vision of a wrestling show became this sort of phenomenon because it does have a cult following first and foremost uh it wasn't it wasn't that hard to get me to talk about it like I've always been willing to tell the story. I just wanted the forum to tell the story. Right. And also, um, it just was timing. I didn't want to talk about it in episode two or three or four. And then we got talking about heels for eight weeks, which was a lot of fun and great. It came to a point where I want to tell the story my way, in my pace, elaborately, without time constraints. And I want to be able to, no gloves, like, Kit gloves are thrown off. Let's 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 shoot. I'll tell you the honest to God's truth. Ask me questions and I'll tell you. And that's that's where we're at today. Let's start this. All right, let's get right into this. But before we do that, I do want to mention that uh, if perhaps you are somebody out there listening and you're wondering some things about WFX, send us an email with your questions. And and, and go on YouTube. Oh oh, I know you want to give the email address first. Let me. TotalBeeshees at gmail.com. Ask us a question or on our social medias, but just ask if you have questions about WFX. Or anything. That we're not going over. This is the place to ask it. And this, because I will ask Mike Davidson these questions. If you're not familiar with WFX, not everybody is. None of, like our listeners mostly are because that's why they wanted to listen to me. Go to YouTube, the Total Beeshees show. There are 13 episodes and there's five episodes nobody's seen in Canada that I'm getting that we're going to be adding to that playlist. And I can oh. tell you it's some of the best stuff we wrote because it got better every single week until it crashed after 18 or 20 episodes, whatever it was. So yeah, YouTube, the total B she show episode WFX overload one through 13, watch it. Hey, have a critique. I'm, I'm happy. I'm very proud of that body of work. So nothing, if you say something bad about it, it doesn't hurt my feelings. If you say something good about it, it puts me over. I like it. Ask Scott Mason, ask Eric Cannon, ask everybody. Okay, so let's get right into this, and we'll start off really at the ground floor here. How did you meet Jeff Dick? Because you don't come across, you know, ultra-wealthy people like that every day, right? Now, <laughs> this is going to be a long answer. The question is, was Jeff Dick ultra-wealthy? 
he might not have been ultra wealthy, but he did have an investment source. But I met him way back in 2003. I had just left PCW. In August of 2003, I, was, I felt we had hit that glass ceiling and, and there was, it wasn't going to get bigger. Now, the, the oversight on that was that Kenny Omega kept getting better. And I kind of missed the opportunity to produce Kenny at his best. Uh, but Kenny was still really good at that time. But anyway, I left PCW on my own accord, burnout, fatigue. Uh, I decided I was going to run something called Action Wrestling Entertainment. We got a deal to do, or eventually got a deal to do a show at Coyotes, which was directly competition to PCW's right. venue, bar venue. Um, and I, did, I, I was half-hearted about this effort, but uh, it, it was presented to me and, and negotiated and we did it and we brought in some names. But anyway, I had met Jeff in about September of 2003. Jeez Wheeze, Jeff Wallace, Shane Madison, said, I met this guy who runs the Heat magazine in Winnipeg um, at the bar and he's interested in getting involved potentially as either a sponsor or an investor into wrestling. His name is Jeff and he'd like to meet you. So we connected by email. We met for breakfast and, and he didn't know anything about wrestling, but he was very entrepreneurialistic and excited about entertainment. And the thing was his grander vision was much bigger entertainment. And when I started telling him about wrestling and how you could build something and the costs that it would take to build something, uh, he got very excited. Now, at that time, I had been uh, in investigating how hard it would be in Canada to get on pay-per-view and get TV, right? That was, that was actually one of the goals I had with PCW. That never was going to, it never could get, we could never get traction with that. So over the course of, of years of knowing Jeff Dick, 2003, we did... Action Wrestling Entertainment in 2004 and 5, 3, 4, and 5. Uh, then it fell apart. To investment, there was investment capital, and then the investment capital, it just there. that's a long story in itself, and it's not WFX, so I'm not going to go there today. Then in 2007, I, did a, I, I agreed to produce an event for Dan King and New Wrestling Nation and Prince George, and I felt that Jeff actually felt like a, almost like he looked at me as a cheating spouse. Like he always thought we were a good partnership and he thought before I go out and do stuff with other people, he kind of felt I should do it with him. Right. So in late summer of 2007, actually I'll tell you that story. Uh, 2007 is when Chris Benoit killed his wife and son. Yes. And I actually thought the business was going to implode because of it. Um, so I was sitting on the beach with Jeez Wheeze, who has always been my best sounding board. I said, you know, like, I think the only way the business is going to work coming out of this is if you make it all about the fans. It's got to be fan related. It's got to be, they're the most important part because if they don't buy tickets, they don't buy merch like t-shirts and stuff, you got nothing. And so I learned something in 2007 that a lot of indie promoters now don't quite figure out how important the fans are. So it, it just was a, I thought the wrestling fan, WF, and then it's about their experience and the X. We didn't spell it with an E. We spelled it with an X. Right. Wrestling fan. So WFX, that's how it was. It's funny. You know, somebody on the internet said that's the worst name ever, but it's not. WFX had a great ring to it. Now everybody's going to go rip it off and, and launch yeah. with WFX. So I met Jeff in 2003 and kind of WFX was a culmination of years of us getting to know each other, getting comfortable with one another and, and it coming together. And it was one of the most monumental meetings of my life was meeting Jeff Dick. And this is a guy... I'm, I'm going to sing praises here. 
this is a guy that no no idea is too expensive or no dream is too big and no he believes and when he believes he he latches on and he you he swings for a home run every time he touches a bat um and he had a profound ability to raise investment capital and it was incredible like it, uh, unbelievable okay so Let's get really into the meat of it. There's a lot of feelings out there about Jeff Dick. What kind of guy was he really? Because the reputation he has, it might not be reality, but it, the reputation isn't great. Let's say that. Okay. Well, let's be fair to him. Yeah. Oh, that, that's why I'm asking you. I don't know the man. I know him. I knew him. I don't know him anymore, but I knew him better than anybody. Um, his reputation would be that he's a dreamer that he believes he can accomplish things that everyone knows it's the chances are 99% it will fail. Imagine that. So people think he's a dreamer. If you ever get a chance to meet and work with somebody who dreams that way, where the 1% chance is worth latching onto and going for it, it's a thrill. And when he's raising the investment capital and making it happen, it's, it's hard to explain. People who say, well, you know, he didn't pay this or he didn't pay that. When you dig deeper, it doesn't end up being true. And I'll, if somebody wants to say, you know, Jeff Dick did this or that, I'm not going to defend him based just on what was my friendship with him. I'm going to say like, maybe, maybe you had a bad dealing with him. I personally did not. Most wrestlers, 99% of wrestlers I know did not have a bad dealing with Jeff Dick. Didn't have a bad word to say about him. This is a guy who... It's amazing because he started a lot of businesses and WFX was the most successful business he ever started. Maybe he's done something since, I don't know. I don't talk to the man anymore, but uh, he was, he believed and he, he knew what TNA was doing because that was the market comparison. One of the things he was really good about is he was a business plan guy. And I, you remember, I criticized independent promoters. Don't write a business plan. Don't have a marketing plan. He used to have me go over numbers like, God, it must've been like once every two to four weeks. And I'd be like, it's, it has even the slightest change will require a new performer or whatever those are called. And I learned a lot about business thanks to that. So reputation, anyone who wants to base an opinion on someone based on something they heard from somebody else, that's narrow sighted. And that shows how stupid the person who makes the opinion is. Many people have done that to me. And I just snicker and say, people who know me don't, don't buy that crap. So Jeff's reputation, that's, that's crap. He's probably the best thing that ever happened to Canadian wrestling in terms of investor, in terms of business, like building a business and things like that. Okay, so you're you're coming out of working on the indies here in Winnipeg, so to speak. You know, That's you're, where I started, you're you're yeah. working with PCW. You know, you worked with uh, TRCW at, at one point. When you're working with a guy like Jeff Dick, and you you paint the picture of a dreamer, a guy who thinks big and goes for it, did he have to sort of drag you forward to think big? Oh yeah, because a lot of indie promoters talk about, oh, if I had that money, I'd do this, but they're talking out their. <laughs> They're talking about their ace, right? Yeah. But did he have to sort of drag you into this big thinking mindset? Yes, yes. So I would write, so I did it the old way, the way that I criticize people who do it today. I would do a show budget and it would say, it's going to cost us this to produce a show. Uh, AWE's Larger Than Life, prime example. I did, a, I did a spreadsheet that said, after all the talent, after all the hotel, after all the airfares, after all the advertising, after the cost of the venue, it's going to cost this much money. And then comfortably believe we're going to sell this many tickets. And as part of that, 
then I would say, okay, we're going to, we're looking at net gain or net, net loss based on those numbers. He would then look at it and say, well, I want to see bigger. What, let's imagine we could sell this many tickets. Let's imagine we're going to sell this many pay-per-views or this. He would look at ancillary revenues and say, okay, why are we not going for it? Why are we, why are we pigeonholing ourselves into a small vision? And him and I would fight. It would be like, I would say, you're unrealistic. Those numbers have never been touched. And he would look at me and say, until you start thinking bigger, you're always going to produce small. Talk about a great combination. Yes. He, I learned more from him. Oh, if he's listening to this, <laughs> I learned more from him and that vision and anybody that's ever been in that seat with Jeff on something, it's, a, it's, an, it's inspiring. The guy doesn't believe in failure. He does he never forecasts the what if it's always the best case scenario. It's a wonderful thing when you're sitting in the seat next to him until the what if happens. And were you able to carry that positive mindset forward into, you know, your own life? I'm a very positive person. That's curveball. <laughs> Good job. Yeah. Uh, I'm a very positive person now. Like I can work 70 hours a week and feel like I feel better than most people that work 35 or 40. Um, I, every day am, I wake up a happy person every single day. I wake up excited and eager. Um, that might be a Jeff Dick rub off. I don't think it is. I actually think I became more positive after I worked with him. I just, I have a good life. Like I have the greatest friends, Sean Brown, geez, wheeze, good time, Gord, you, um, and so many, you know, every time somebody sends me a message and says, Hey, that podcast is kicking ass. You know, it, it's such a driver. Um, working for the bombers. It's not work to go to the, to go work for a, a pro football team. Let me tell you that. Um, but even my other work, like I do a lot of other work. I work with foster kids. I love my, I have a great girlfriend. I love my life. Okay. So what's one thing right off the bat, like when you first started work, working on this vision with Jeff, what's one thing that you guys butted heads about? Because you both, I don't know Jeff, but you have a strong personality. I assume a guy like him who's, you know, wealthy or has access to lots of money, has a pretty decent ego as well. Uh, what was one thing that you sort of butted heads that you can think of off the top of your head? Jeff is completely dismissive. Uh, ah, I'm not even worried about that. Ah, we're going to do this all uh, the whole nine yards all day long. He, he, there's sayings he had that my buddies and I still say to this day, because that's how much of an impact he had over us. Um, where we, where we clashed, uh, I always wanted to be growing, getting bigger. So did he, but I had an idea that if we we're going to build our home base of Winnipeg, where we we're going to produce TV that was going to be exported all over North America, that we needed to advertise that. We, I remember the conversation where WFX got real hot. We, we had started with a couple of shows in 2007 and eight. We had Jerry Lawler against Billy Gunn and unadvertised because we, remember that, we yeah. already knew that we were on pace for a sellout. And I didn't need Lawler and Billy Gunn advertised, but I wanted to blow the fans' minds. So they were like, I'm always buying tickets because when they say the words unadvertised attraction, it's a huge deal. And it worked. It worked wonderfully. Um, so when we got together and he said, I, ah, I'm buying a TV. Uh, okay. Uh, he's going to be mad when I do the imitation if he hears this. Uh, <laughs> I'm buying a TV studio is what he said. Uh, do, the, do the impression. Ah, <laughs> and I said, so we, it was a meeting that David Bastel was in town for and him and I, we went to, he, his office was in a house in St. Vitale at this point and all his staff worked in this house. And I was like, I don't believe this is ever going to happen. Like there's a 0% chance. I said this to Dave Bastel when we left, he had just done an investment deal with Danny Duggan to invest in CWE. Right. I said, why don't you do it with Danny? And he's like, he's like, Danny's good at this and that, but Mike, 
if I want to go after TNA's market share, I need you because you're the only one with the set of cojones to figure out how to grow past four posts, three ropes, Winnipeg, whatever venue into television and a bigger vision. Okay, Mike. So are oh, you cutting me off? I'm, cu- I'm cutting you off unless you've got more because this is a story that we're going to unfold over the weeks. Can I finish? Yes, you can okay, finish. So Hit me. He said to me in that meeting, he said, I'm going to give you this amount of money per month to, to start WFX. And he said, I said, I'm going to need, I said, we're going to lose a ton of money. And he said, no, we're not. And I said, yes, we are. We're going to lose at least a million dollars in the first year. And I said, you're crazy. We're Or no, he said to me, he kept saying that it was impossible to lose. I said, you better forecast a million dollars in year one. And then I'm going to try to knock it down to three quarters of a million in loss in year two. And if half a million in year three, and we're going to be in for 2.5 minimum after three years. If you can't do that, 2.25, I guess. If we can't do that, we, ain't, we have no hope. And he said to me, I will, I will, I'll give you that kind of budget, but we're not going to lose that kind of money. And that's where we stood. And I know you want to move on past this but that's where i'm going to leave it today next week we can go on but remember where we leave yep because that's that's a magic point we just start getting into the roster at that point we start getting into what it's going to take to grow it and and you know he he, there's a lot to that yeah and i'm going to ask you some more hardball questions next week i'm going to throw you some more curveballs and i'm hoping that the listeners do get at us on our social medias or call me a liar challenge me exactly let's challenge mike davidson because i will read your comment verbatim as long as it's you know you didn't let me get into the down part like the negatives that i only got to say positive i gave a verbal please today you you did and (laughs) next week we're gonna we're gonna go negative which is not uh, either of our styles but hey Oh, we're going negative before the end of the show today. We still have the the inbox we got to go through. Still- Fan questions and my pet peeve. 20-year Canadian indie wrestling veteran Rob Stardom has done it all. Wrestling in Japan, Mexico, and many places in between. But he's winding down his career. He's not done yet, though. Follow along on the journey of Canadian strong style Rob Stardom as he checks a few more things off his bucket list. Check out the Rob Stardom vlog on YouTube. Just go to youtube.com and search Rob Stardom Vlog. And don't forget to leave a comment saying the Total Bees She's podcast sent you. This is Wayne Stanton from episode six of the Total Bees She's show. If you're not listening to this podcast, I think you're a coward. What a pleasure it is. For us here at the Total Bees She Show to have a guy I consider to be one of the most talented independent wrestlers I've ever met or worked with, Eric Cannon from Minneapolis is, words can't even explain what I think about this guy as a wrestler. And he's also making waves as a promoter too. Eric Cannon, how are you? I am doing great and I am feeling even greater after that introduction, thank you very much. Oh, good, good. Um, tell me something. You've been running First Wrestling now for more than a dozen years, right? Um, yeah, we started doing these shows out here in April of 2007. April of 2007, that's uh, 15 years. That's impressive. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm starting to feel it too. Yeah, well, being a promoter can be <laughs> stressful. I, I, I think you know that when I was a promoter, it used to stress me out a little bit. Um, so I couldn't believe it. You blew up the internet last Saturday night at your Sunday night at your live show, Russell Palooza, 
and you announced yep. that you're going to be returning, that wrestling is going to be returning to the Mall of America. And that's the first time it's happened since Monday Nitro's first ever show. Uh, I dazed off during breakfast today and my girlfriend was like, hey, are you OK? <laughs> what's going on? And I looked at her and I was just like, I looked at her and I just said, babe, holy shit. We're actually running a wrestling show at the mall of America. It's a, it's a very cool thing to be able to say and share and tell people about. But um, it's also something that as a promoter uh, hasn't been easy. Um, it's, it's actually something that we've been working on since March of 2020. Wow. And then the pandemic hit. So that obviously threw a roadblock in that. And then like slowed everything down. Yeah. 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 But, you know, here we are. And I would imagine there's like roadblocks, like they, they probably want certain assurances and insurances and things like that. And, and you had to probably prove that you're a high quality per, like production for them to even sign off on it, I'm sure. Um, it's going to be the most professional, independent professional wrestling show that I think I will ever run until we knock it out of the park and we do it again. There's a there's a lot of eye-opening experiences taking place with this event, and uh, I'm going to come out the other end uh, a better businessman and a better wrestling promoter having done it. That's exactly what I love to hear. That's what I encourage every promoter to do is always be swinging to do something bigger and better, even if it scares the hell out of you, to always go I, for the home run. Yeah, you have to. Um, and I think, that, I think that that's something that I've learned as a performer as a worker that has helped me become the promoter that I've become because I've, I've been working for over 20 years and I've, and I've, and I'd like to think that I've done enough throughout my career or journey adventure or whatever we want to call it, uh, that I've learned a bit of the do's and the don'ts just from seeing how other people do it. And, and for the longest time, and even to this day, I'm grateful that so many promoters uh, across the country and in other countries gave me an opportunity to not only hone my craft, but to learn from them. Like, I know it sounds cheesy and we're always telling everybody like, well, if you're done learning, then it's time to get out. But that's a real, that's a real thing. Like uh, even 20 plus years in, I'm, I'm still learning not only as a performer, but even now as a promoter and as a businessman. And it's a lot. So I, I do not envy the task of all these other promoters out there who do this monthly or even some that do it more than once a month. Like I take like, I, I joke that after every show, I need to take a small coma. Because of the stress, the stress and the never ending questions and the this and the that and trans is so expensive now and flights are astronomical. It's just if it ain't one thing, it's another. Oh, yeah. And, and I'm trying to I'm trying to get my hand on a little bit of all of it. Yeah. So like the, the word they use now is inflation. And it's actually a soft economy, which is actually part of the problem, too. I'm sure you're seeing that in, in Minnesota. I, I'm impressed to no end. But you're, you have this group of talent in Minnesota that's in, like incredible, notwithstanding yourself, who's a super talent, but Darren Corbin, who I think is the champion, if I'm not mistaken, and Aria Davari's there. Who else, is on, who else is on your roster that you would like to boast about? Um, we've got a lot of really young kids that are uh, finding who and what they are as performers. And it's been a pleasure to see them grow as humans, but also as performers. And, and we've got young guys like Brandon Gore, um, Riley Jackson, Super Atomic Thunderfrog is like the most ridiculous yet awesome uh, <laughs> addition to any show in this area. Um, there's a lot I could I could talk about the local guys for days. Yeah, um, yeah, that's good. That it's good, and that's a key. If you're going to run a super event like this, you have to have locals that you can depend on that can deliver, so that fans who are coming for the first time are like, oh, their hometown talent is really impressive. Um, will this be a show that's that's got some like big name appeal to it as well, or are you, you going to stick with mostly with your core 
so we've been we've been doing shows since 2007 like i said and while i absolutely cannot fit everyone on the event um i'm definitely going to figure out a way to include as many of those guys and girls that have helped us get to where we are but i still have to also make room for some of those bigger name legend types they're going to help us hit that home run we need to hit considering there hasn't been wrestling in the mall of america for over 27 years mm-hmm. but I know that I know that some of the guys and girls are going to be asked to do jobs and or tasks that aren't the ones they want on that night, but that's part of being the local crew. Yeah. Sometimes you sometimes you're still involved, but you might not be. You might not have the ball in hand at that time when you want it. But that's the thing. Like I, I always try to make sure that when it comes to these shows, I never say I, my, or mine because I absolutely can't do any of this stuff on my own. And that's the kind of that's kind of a, an important thing for me is when I do ask these local crew or you know anybody to do something that may not necessarily be the task that they want. I make sure to thank them. I make sure that they're taken care of. I make sure that they know that hey, this isn't just some BS task I needed anyone to do. I've asked you to do this because I trust you to get it done properly because there's only one me and I can't do everything. Yeah, and the stakes are higher. And like part of being a good leader is being able to delegate those things that you can't carry to the people who are capable of of really supporting you underneath. That's the only way a project of this mass is ever going to get pulled off. A million percent. I absolutely and anything that i mean i guess i don't want to say regular but but every show it's a team it's a team effort and everybody plays a part even if it's not the part that they are hoping to play you mentioned earlier that uh, you learned a few things being a talent working shows about what not to do is there any one thing that really sticks out to you that uh, that the people are not doing or they should be doing or something that you're like i'm never gonna do that um one thing that kind of always like maybe maybe more when i was younger because i didn't quite understand it so much of the so much of how everything works but i always thought it was really crazy that as a young guy there'd be like 10 of us in a hotel room or <laughs> or or we wouldn't or there'd be 10 of us in a hotel room and nobody would be complaining like w- was that during wfx did i put you up 10 to a hotel room by chance <laughs> no oh good no. oh good <laughs> uh, i have i have always been taking care of any and every trip i've ever made to winnipeg oh that's good hopefully you start making yeah. more trips up here yeah there's some there's a few places up that way that uh have hit me up and I just have to figure out scheduling and, and how to get back up there. Yeah. Going back to first wrestling, I, I have a couple questions. There are people from, from my neck of the woods that will go down on a road trip to see a Vikings game, a wild game, and they would go to, if AEW was doing a TV or a pay-per-view, I think this is the type of event that they're probably going to plan road trips for. And I think it's September 11th. Am I correct? That's the date? Saturday, September 10th will be the live event. Okay. And we are currently tinkering with ideas on how to add like additional things, additional events, so to speak, whether that be a meet and greet or a media day for, for those diehard wrestling fans that just can't get enough of this. Uh, we're going to try to at least put two days worth of shenanigans together for them. So it'll be an, an incredible fan experience. What about the people from say Winnipeg, Calgary, Vancouver, wherever our listeners are, if they wanted to, are you going to live stream it by chance or like uh, maybe fight TV or something of that nature? So we haven't quite crossed that bridge yet, mostly because of the way that things are going to work at and within the mall. Like because it's a mall, we yeah. have to make sure that there are traffic uh, aisle ways, so to speak, so that people can go in both directions, even though this live wrestling event is happening in the middle of the mall. Yeah. Um, so the idea that we would have to potentially have cords and cables and things of that nature strewn about might become an issue 
it's amazing. The logistics of being the promoter and producer of the events. Me yep. in Winnipeg thinks, well, this should be an easy, an easy, you know, idea. Just stream it on the internet. But you're just, what you just said is so simplistic, but it's something that most people wouldn't even think about. When we started, when we started touring them all and, and checking up the, the way that it would work and, and the way that things would function, it was just very eye-opening. Like in, in my mind, I was like, oh man, so we're going to put all these people down here and the ring and guardrails and a stage and an aisleway, but we also have to leave room for people to go from that store over to that store. <laughs> okay. Now it's getting, now it's getting interesting. And in a way it kind of lends a hand to how cool this event is actually going to be because they have to, those, those aisleways, those walkways for people that are just there shopping, they have to remain. Those things have to exist. So we're going to be on like a limited ticket capacity and I will be absolutely heartbroken if this event doesn't sell out. However, uh, I don't see that being an issue whatsoever. No, no. I think just the, if you think about it, it's almost, uh, how many years to the date? 1995, 96 was Nitro or 95? September 4, 1995. Hours will be on September 10th, 2022. And it's just over 27 years. Wow. And just the novelty of being there. And it's going to be a super event that any fan probably within a eight hour radius is going to want to drive to that, I would think. I think the tickets are going to go really fast. I realize as a promoter, it's my job to speculate and say and, and share that kind of information. But, but genuinely, as a wrestling fan, as a wrestler, just somebody that's been involved around and, and continues to love this garbage as long as I have, <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's the kind of thing that people are going to go, ah, I have to go. I ha- it hasn't happened in so long. It might not never happen again. Like, how can I not? How can I pass up on this? What kind of capacity even, even are you going to have for that, fans? Um, so that's the thing. Like, I don't, know i don't quite know exactly what our capacity will be because i'm sure that there are going to be some people that don't want to buy a ticket and try to watch for free so i think i think easily we'll have 1200 people there that are there to watch the show yeah i think any wrestling fan who decides they don't want to buy a ticket to this and support the ballsy effort you're making and decides they're going to go from store to store and try to watch it for free i think they deserve they deserve a nut shot in my opinion i think they're gonna i think they're gonna find out right away i should have bought a ticket yeah absolutely um like uh like there are standing there are standing room only tickets that'll be available on the fourth level of the mall they're only they're only 15 bucks wow. that's amazing that's a great value right and yeah. and honestly and honestly i think that's going to be one of the cooler the cooler vantage points of the night you're on the fourth floor looking down at everything going on yeah that's, that's I think that's not only a great vantage point, but like fifteen bucks—that's a steal. Yeah, that's a that's a great value. Um, so, when do tickets go on sale, and and how how will you sell those tickets? Tickets will go on sale Friday, June twenty fourth at ten a.m. and they will be available online only. And it's one of those dot com slash event slash some numbers type of URL. So the best way to find the ticket link will be through all of the first wrestling social media accounts and or my own. And I'm sure it's going to get spammed all over tomorrow morning by fingers crossed everybody that's interested local talent the work including me up in canada well i appreciate that and i'm going to tell you straight out right now i'm going to buy two tickets i can't personally attend because of the winnipeg blue bombers play that day but i'm going to buy two tickets and to the total b she's listener that wants to drive down to minneapolis and be there i'm going to have two tickets that they're going to be able to win I love it. Oh, it's it's this is a once in a lifetime event. If I if, if it wasn't for the fact it's the Banjo Bowl in Winnipeg and I'm contractually obligated to be there, I would be driving down to Minneapolis for the road trip. It's incredible. Like it's I I'm floored that 
one that I know the guy that's doing it and I have an incredible amount of respect for you. You're one of the most talented people I've ever worked with, but to have the cojones to pull this off, like just listening to you and, and the logistics you're going to go through to make this happen. It's incredible. It's, it's definitely an undertaking to, to say the least. I, I just got a tour of the underside of the mall uh, last week and just getting talent from the green room to gorilla position. Um, that's one of those things I mentioned earlier. Like I'm going to have to have someone that I trust. Well, actually probably a plural someone that I trust to help talent navigate that adventure from the green room to the gorilla position, because I can't do that for every single person during every single match or every single segment. I'll be doing other things. So, so yeah, the logistics of it are, I have a notebook and I'm like in the middle of it already. Yeah. Uh, that, they just, call that a critical path, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, are you going to wrestle on the show or will you be too busy being promoter and producer? You know, I, I apologize to every person I work with at, at these first wrestling events because I really genuinely never get that much time to sit down and have a conversation about things, but I'm going to try my damnedest to make sure that I'm on point that day because let's just say in the event, this never happens again. I'll kick myself if I don't put myself on somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I honestly, for the fan, for the value of the fans buying the ticket, it's a much more valuable ticket with Eric Cannon doing what Eric Cannon does well. And that's actually. I joke and I say that all the time, but like, it feels good to hear someone else say it. No, it's not. That's a hundred percent true. And that's segueing here. I want to talk about your career. I'm going to tell you how I came to know about you when I booked you for the first time in 2005. And then in 2010, you became a regular for us in WFX and an extremely valuable regular. Rob Stardom had told me about you and he said, if you're booking any, if you're doing anything of substance in Winnipeg, you got to find out if you can get Eric Cannon to come in for it. And I was never, ever disappointed. It is actually one of the best tips somebody gave me on booking a talent. Over the course of your journeys, what have been some of the highlights over your career? Oh, wow. Uh, I mean, I don't want to pull the curtain back too far, but I, I would be remiss to not comment on some of the uh, good times that we had after every <laughs> one of those WFX events. <laughs> oh, those uh, are pretty epic. No joke. I literally was telling someone about one of those nights last week uh, because somebody said something about Larry Zabisco being in the area. And I was like, did you know? <laughs> <laughs> And we just, uh, honestly, like, those are the things that I think I carry with me the most because at this rate, in 2022, seemingly anyone can lace up a pair of boots, climb in a ring and be a wrestler, you know? Uh, and I say that for better or for worse, but it's those moments with those with that crew of, of guys and girls after the event that I feel last a little longer than, I had a really good match tonight and I really enjoyed it. The crowd was really into everything we did. But those moments that are that, that stay with us, I think, are those more. What's the word I want to use? Almost like a magic moment. The stuff yeah, that yeah, nobody gets just, to see. The experience. Yeah, the the experience and the rapport we create with each other uh, during and after these events uh, is something unlike anything I've ever experienced. Because for those ten to twelve minutes between the bells, you know, you're kind of in a way giving your life to that person for that time, and you hope that they're going to take care of you. After that's all said and done, you get to learn more about these people and, and exchange these stories and this camaraderie of like sharing this never ending grind, so to speak, and, and just being a part of something that's so well known for just chewing us all up and spitting us all out. And like, we have these moments of, of victories and maybe they're, they're small victories, but they add up and they become important. And it's those stories about after the show or 
things that you experience with whomever you're working with that only those two people will ever understand because they were in the ring having that conversation listening to that crowd reaction stuff like that it's, it's those things that like really really stick with but as far as like if, if i was going to pinpoint one match uh one specific experience um in 2004 i got to wrestle brian danielson for the first and only time that i ever have and um i was pretty pretty young and pretty green at that time and i was kind of you know, nervous, obviously, but also I've never met Brian. I don't know how Brian operates. I don't know how this is going to go. I just, I just know and feel all this pressure that this is Brian's first match here and it's not allowed to sink. So I better carry my weight. How did it go? Well, I, well, I went up to Brian pretty early <laughs> in the night and I was like, Hey, Brian, my name's Eric Cannon. It'll be me and you tonight. If there's anything you'd love to discuss, you know, I'm all ears. And, uh, Brian looked at me and he goes, I might give you a belly to back off the top rope. And I said, okay, that cool. I'll take that bump for you. No problem you know when and he looks me right in the face and he goes ah, when it's right <laughs> <laughs> oh so so this was like this was early in the night and i just thought to myself oh he he, he doesn't want to talk yet he's not quite ready for this conversation so i i and and i didn't know him this was the our first conversation so i you know disappeared for a while and figured you know it's halfway through the show i, I better go check in and at this point brian was like yeah you're familiar with cattle mutilation, right? And I was like, the submission, the, the arm submission. And he goes, yeah, yeah, that's it. I was like, of course, no problem. He goes, I'll probably do that too at some point. And I was like, at some point. And I'm like, in, the, in, my, in my mind, I'm losing my shit. Because I'm like, I'm like, I don't know if he's ribbing me or if he doesn't want to talk to me or, or, or like, am I about to get my ass kicked? Like, what's, what's going on? So uh, I, there's like four matches before us at this point because it's one of those marathon IWA Mid-South events. I just say, fuck it, and I go get dressed. I'm like, I better be ready because I don't know how this is going to go. The match before us is on, and it feels like, it sounds like they're in the falses. And I say to Brian, I'm like, hey, man, um, is there anything else that you'd like to talk about? And he goes, he goes you're going over. And I said, right, I am. He goes, do you mind if you hit your finish twice in a row? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And then my music started playing. <laughs> and i and i just looked at him and i said i might do this thing i might do that thing um but i'll probably just hope you'll tell me when to do them and he was like we'll have fun we'll have fun and i went to the ring and i like i, I couldn't even begin to explain the nerves that i had in me by it was, it was the first time i started wrestling in september of 01 and this match was in i want to say july or august of 2004 it's the first time I'd ever gone to the ring and not had any kind of roadmap or any kind of plan or any kind of direction other than he might throw me off the top rope later, I guess. But, but it's a, and, and I, I tell this story and I, and I, and I say how nervous and how stressed I was about it to, to illustrate how amazing Brian is. Yeah. Or, or, or should I say how amazing Brian was? Yeah. Because he's only gotten better. Right. In yeah. 2004, he held my hand and walked me through probably my favorite match I've ever had. That was 18 years ago. So to think that he's still doing it and he's definitely improved. He, he said so himself. That's not just me being a fan. Yeah. But like, he's so amazing. It's it just, wow. And like, I got to do that. I got to have that dance with Brian one time. And that's something that I'll never, ever forget. And it's something that I try to tell younger guys too. I'm like, hey, look, maybe tonight don't try to walk it through A to Z. Leave some of those letters on the table and see what happens. But yeah, it's, it's stuff like that. And then the, the conversation afterwards and, and the, the telling of the story that, that yeah. those are those things that I think are forever. Because any given month, you know, you'll have six, seven, eight matches. And it's like, well, I don't want to write a book after every match and take notes on every little thing that happened. But like the things that stick on their own because they were that good, that memorable, that enjoyable. Those are those moments that, you know, we share uh, at the bar or at dinner or in the locker room that, that people don't get to see. Yeah. You know? 
a story that lives forever. Last question I'm going to ask. Now, you mentioned that after party with Larry Zabisco, Johnny Fairplay was there too. <laughs> was that the one yeah. where I flipped out on the noise complaint and cut the promo on the roster the next show? I, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't, I don't ever remember there being an angry Mike Davidson. Oh, come not on at now. Least, <laughs> uh, at least, at least not in a, there was some excitement and there was some, a little bit of win one for the Gipper type. Yes. Shit. Yes. I yeah. But I definitely don't remember you ever being angry or cutting a promo on anyone. This is perfect. We finally have confirmation that I wasn't a hothead who was losing my mind every, every show. This is great. I might've just not been there that day though. <laughs> I think you were on every show I ran, to be honest. I, I, I genuinely don't remember there being a time where you cut a promo on anyone. I definitely remember you cutting a promo on the crew, but more so of, look around like there's amazing people in this locker room and if you have questions again look around there's and you could ask anyone in this room for help for an idea to flesh something out to hey what do you think of this does this make sense does this not make sense like there was one of there was definitely one of those that like I remember vividly, but I don't think there was any anger behind it. No, there you're right. There you go. Eric Cannon, thank you so much. I promise you a couple of things, Eric. I am going to be the biggest booster of this event on social media. I'm going to make sure that anybody that follows the Total She show knows about it, knows how they can get tickets, and we're going to buy two tickets. Personally, I'm going to take care of that, and one of our listeners is going to get a chance to win those two tickets to attend the event September 10th, Mall of America. What time is bell time? Do you know that yet? Uh, you'll be able to check in with these tickets at 4.30, doors at 5, show starts at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. It is going to be a show that people are feel lucky to be at live and are going to very much enjoy. It's going to be one of those, until the next time First Wrestling does it, it's going to be one of those once-in-a-lifetime opportunities. Chris? Uh, before you go, Eric, where can people follow you on social media? Uh, the easiest way to find me is at Eric Cannon on all of the social media platforms. Um, I do spell my name kind of funny. It's A-R-I-K-T-A-N-N-O-N. Or you can find out all kinds of info about First Wrestling at First Wrestling, which I also spell kind of funny. F, the numeral one, R-S-T, wrestling. Perfect, and I can't wait till one of the promoters in Winnipeg gets off their duff and books you in for a live event so we can have a couple of drinks and enjoy telling some stories. Hey, well, this time they'll be on me. Excellent, Eric. Thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you for your time, and we'll talk again soon. Hell yeah, thank you for having me. The Total Bees She's Show releases new episodes every Monday. Follow the Total Bees She's Show on Twitter at Total Bees She's, on Instagram at Total Bees She's, or search us on Facebook, Total Bees She's. All right, Mike, now it is time for the fan inbox. And we've got some good questions this week. I have curated two of the ones that I like the best. And uh, this one's from Darren. Darren? Are Darren. we talking Darren Dalton? Could be Darren. Darren Metzlar? It could be him, too. It oh. really could be. I don't know which Darren it is. but Let me hear the question, I'll, and I'll let you know which one it is. Okay, he says, A lot of people right now are claiming to be the best wrestler in the world. Uh, John Moxley claimed that last week on, <laughs> on All Elite. He's which was, not. Which was crazy. CM Punk has claimed it. Chris Jericho has claimed it. A lot of people have okay, claimed it. Okay, okay, Who, you know, give us a top three. Top three favorite wrestlers right now. Top three best in the world. <sighs> you are a dick. Mainstream wrestling. It's not, it's not me. It's against it's the Darren. rules. It's Darren. You have to. You have to. Yeah. By that question, I'm going to assume it's Darren the Bomb Dalton because that's the type of question he would ask. 
Uh, my three, I'm going to go with who my three favorites are. And they're maybe, I don't care if people say, well, that's not, that's better. The three that I think are the best, most marketable in the right situation right now, and they might not be in the right situation right now. Number one, Roman Reigns, bar none. Uh, I'm going to tell you who's number four because he misses the list. Brock Lesnar. Okay. So number one is Roman Reigns. Bar none, I find him to be compelling. I find him to be, if WWE had better creative, and that's a very, very, it's an unrealistic if at this point, Roman Reigns would be as hot as anybody in any era um, because he looks like a million dollars. He performs like a million dollars. Number two, MJF. The yep. controversy aside, I think he, for since I started watching AEW, and I don't watch it as closely as some, but as a lapsed fan, it's the one thing that's brought me back and stimulated me a little bit as a, as a I guess, a fan. Um, MJF cuts million-dollar promos. Every, every angle he does, he makes the guy he's wrestling seem special, that the program is always hot. Um, there's nobody better in the industry. Number three is way out in left field, and people are going to think I'm crazy. Given the right arena, Nick Aldis yeah. would be the number three best wrestler in the world. I think, you know, he, he has the British accent. He dresses like a million dollars. He looks good. His matches are good. He cuts a great promo. He is very, very underutilized in NWA, but I hope he never leaves NWA because I think that's the kind of guy that they're going to need if they ever grow. Uh, but he is fantastic. So that's my three. Roman Reigns, uh, MJF, Nick Aldis, and number four would be Brock Lesnar as the guys that I think are the best in the industry right now. That's okay. my guess. Okay, yeah, that's, so those are mine. A number, another guy that I would throw maybe on number five, Eli Drake. Uh, you remember? Well, yeah, he wrestles. He's he, in WWE oh, now as it, something. He was LA Knight yeah. in NXT. He's something else now on okay. the main roster. He cuts million dollar promos, like you said. He's he's money in the ring. Yeah, but his promos are really really and good. And that's in in a tough place to cut a promo WWE because they script the promo heavily. He, and I'm going to talk about scripted promos in a second. But he's he's a guy. He's a guy I would put on the list. Unfortunately, he's kind of getting watered down right now. But. Well, that's the WWE problem. But those are my three, and I'm not changing. All right, let's move on, Alex asks you guys were talking about somebody crapping themselves in the ring uh you know we were talking about that from heels okay do you have any stories of guys crapping themselves in the ring uh that you happen to be there for okay so i i i'm sure i have you don't you know it's not a it's not a moment you're sitting there and you're like oh this is amazing let's get video let's so i don't have a lot of memory about it i'm going to tell you about the worst time i've ever crapped myself it wasn't in the ring, thank God, <laughs> although it was worse in my own opinion. I was at a beach with my girlfriend in 2002, and, you know, the moment starts to percolate, and you're looking yeah. in the bathrooms way over there, and the water's there. I should have ran for the water. For the water, I would have been safer. But I start walking, shuffling, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. And it shot down my leg and it was like oh. not, not solid enough and it was awful. Um, so there's only one thing you can do when that happens to you. Um, you got to save face. What are you going to do? Go to a bathroom, clean up, go back, sit down with your girlfriend. Nothing happened. No, there's thousands of people on that beach that day. It was like July long weekend or something. 
So I did the only thing I could do. I, I went demanded that a lifeguard call an ambulance and I went out on a stretcher because that's the only way I was going to save face. Like I so felt like wild bill. Faked a heart attack? No, I, I said it was my Crohn's is acting up and, and, and I, I've soiled myself and please send an ambulance because I think something's very wrong. Oh, that's fair. Yeah, that's okay. the only way I was getting off that beach. So I, I don't recall it ever happening in a... Ma- every, let, let me tell you, it happens to the best of us. Like, yeah. it, nobody is immune. Sometimes you're driving and there's no bathroom. Uh, when it happens in the ring, you're out there, like, what are you going to do? Run to the back and pretend, like, <laughs> you know, do it, tell the ref, I need five minutes, you know, stall? No, you, it happens. Like, it's awful when it does, but yeah, I, sh- I crap myself on the beach. All right, asked and answered, and that's our inbox Can I for talk? this week. Okay, yes. And now I want to talk about my pet peeve. Oh, here and, we go. And I know I didn't clear this with you, and I know you're going to get uncomfortable, Chris, but I, I need to talk about this. Um, there's a 27-year veteran who considers himself the town tough guy, considers himself a local legend. I'm going to ask you right now to cue up some audio. Okay. It's from CWE, and it was to promote the big match that happened between James Storm and Adam Knight. And in this audio, Adam Knight cuts a promo where he absolutely fails in every walk of life that a professional should do. He undervalue, he undersells the match he's up against. He, and as you're going to hear, he absolutely dismissively talks about members of the crew that he's not in a match with. And so once you listen to it, I'm going to come back and I'm going to let you know my thoughts. All right, let's go to that right now. This Friday, former TNA Impact World Champion James Storm, the cowboy James Storm comes to town. And I demanded to be his opponent. That's right. You're getting the outlaw of night against the cowboy James Storm. And why, you ask? Didn't you just challenge Mentola for the CWE Championship out loud night? Yes, I did. And I'll get there. Mentola, keep the belt warm for me. You and Rob Stardom, have yourself a fine little bout. I don't think anyone doubts who's going to be winning that one. After two decades of traveling the roads, being up and down, all of this great country of ours, competing against you in Japan, I know how good you are. And you know how good I am. But it's been two years. The world made things difficult, and I took a hiatus for good reasons. That said, I'm not going to waste my time working my way up through the ranks, dealing with every Adrian Burton or Bobby Shank or everybody along the way, just to get my notches back up to official number one contendership status. Instead, I told CW Office, if you're bringing in James Storm, He's facing the outlaw Adam Knight. And when I beat you, James Storm, and I will, when I beat you, it's not because I have any disrespect for you. I have all the respect in the world for the things you've accomplished. All of it. Beer money, America's most wanted, that massive run in TNA, everything you've done before and since then, you are a massive challenge. But so am I. This Friday, the outlaw is going to be serving up the last call. See you then. 
All right, Adam Knight. The truth is Adam Knight and I have a history. And people are going to see this as a personal attack. It is not. I'm a former producer of wrestling. And I had to tell people, here's what I need in a promo. Here's what I need in a match. And here's why you have to do it. I never had a more difficult guy to produce than Adam Knight. Because he would hear you. Oh, yeah, yeah, got it, got it, got it. And then he'd go out and improvise and interpret what you asked him to do. And the results were never what you wanted. This is a prime example. We're 27 years into this guy's career. People can't say it's a mistake. Oh, he wasn't thinking that particular day because this is a guy that once slapped a fan when he was a baby face. This is a guy that used to not control his spitting from the ring outwards. This is a guy who calls himself the outlaw, Adam Knight, which is a cowboy who's a bad guy. It's a character that's been easy to study for years and years and years. Well, Mr. Adam Knight, I don't think you've studied it enough. Now, if I am taking time out of my precious podcast, and it's as precious to me as it is to anybody, people say I go too long. I am taking five extra minutes at the end of this podcast to talk to you directly. Now, we have a history. You've thrown a punch at me before. When you hear this, if you decide you want to slap me or punch me, it's the wrong thing. Take this as constructive, professional advice. You're a heel. Now, when you cut a promo, that promo was awful. If I was on that crew and was dismissed by that guy, I would be hot. I texted Danny Duggan when he announced he had James Storm, and I said, do not put him with Adam Knight. That guy cannot carry a match against a name. And Adam Knight, you proved it. First and foremost, as a heel, you need to have bass in your voice. You need to talk like you believe what you're saying. Adam Knight, you did not believe what you were saying, and you delivered it. You tried to be cute, you tried to be clever, and you came off undervaluing the guy the promoter is paying thousands of dollars to get into the ring with you. Awful. Have bass in your voice. Then, because of where the promo is shot, he's talking in a hush. Like he doesn't want somebody to come up to him and say, shh, could you please be quiet? You're a badass heel. You should be, if somebody's going to come up and tell you to be quiet, you say, shut up, I'm talking here. And you keep going. What that promo should have said is, hey, James Storm, you call yourself the cowboy. Well, I call myself the outlaw. So when you ride into my town calling yourself a cowboy, that puts you in a direct conflict with the outlaw. So here's what I have to prove in this match. You call yourself the former TNA world champion. And let's not diminish your value. You were part of one of the best tag teams ever in beer money. Well, I've got 27 years of a legacy in this town. I consider myself a local legend. So when I get in the ring with you, I have a lot to prove. And let me tell you something. I have no interest in losing to some guy who won a world championship when it was on the downslide. I'm going to beat you, whether it's however it's going to be done. There is no way I'm going to lose my 27-year legacy to some hotshot being brought in by a promoter who's trying to pop a crowd people would buy a ticket to that. It is your responsibility, Adam Knight, when you take that booking, when the promoter invests thousands of dollars for a name, it is your job to make people want to buy tickets. 
You failed. 27 years into the industry, you failed. And it's not because you knew better and you just had an off day. It's because 27 years in, you haven't listened to people who've tried to give you advice and you don't know better. I have just cut a better heel promo on you being natural about your performance because I care more about fans buying tickets and them getting value than you do. And that's a problem, Adam Knight. So here's what happens. Right now, the match would be Mike Davidson versus Adam Knight. No, I'm not doing that. Not because I'm scared of you, but I got nothing to gain from that. Honestly. And you'll cut a promo that'll be so effing lame that this promo will be watered down because of it. James Storm cut a great promo. You failed. And I hope you don't hang your head because of this. That's not what I want right now, Adam Knight. Because believe it or not, you hate me, but I don't hate you. I actually like you. I remember breaking in with you in 1995. I remember you being an important part of my team in 2002, even when you were a baby face and slapped the fan. I remember you being a big part of the team in 2005. So don't hang your head and don't hate me for saying the truth. Take what I was saying to heart and learn from it. When you're cutting a promo, here's another thing. You call yourself the outlaw. There's a show called Yellowstone that's immensely popular that's been going for four seasons. If you didn't learn how to be a good outlaw from watching that show, I really worry about your mental capacity to do a character on a wrestling show. Right now, you have the the amount of credibility as Jimmy in season one, the limp dick jackass. That's what you came across in this situation. So don't think I hate you because I'm pointing it out so passionately. It's because I actually like you that I'm taking the time to actually try and give you some advice. Talk with bass in your voice or don't talk. Hey, you're an outlaw. Chew some snuff. Have it dripping down your your lip. You were told that in 2005 by Stan Saxon. And you know what? You didn't learn from it. Get a new gimmick because you're not an outlaw. Okay. I've said what I had to say. (laughs) I've just cut a better heel promo. I'm now trying to go back into nice guy Mike Davidson. He's sweating. Ten episodes into the Total Beaches show. The guy that wants everyone to do well. (laughs) But Adam Knight, please. If you want to slap me, it's going to be good for ratings. If you want to punch me, it's going to be good. And you know what? Everybody, even even people who don't like me, who like this guy, are going to say, the sad thing is Mike's right. Yeah. And that's what I got to say about that. Pet peeve of the week. I'm not going to do it every week. Come on, Knight. You can do better. Uh, Total B, she's at Instagram and Twitter. It's at Total B, she's on Facebook. Search the Total B, she's show on YouTube. Search the Total B, she's show on uh, email and PayPal. It's Total B, she's at gmail.com. We love it when fans send us money. It's not required. I'm still going to be as entertaining as I can be. Sometimes I'm going to get fired up. it was a great show. It's been 10 episodes. Chris, I love you. Thank you so much for all that you do. Now, cue up Glenn Goza. My, my, well, he's dead now, but God, his voice is so good. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, the boss called me up and said, come in to work. I just hung up on that slave driving jerk. I'm going. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're not quite done yet there, Mike. Before we finish up, we've got a special report from our friend Scott Mason of the Play Like a Jet podcast. Scott attended the recent MLW Major League Wrestling show in New York. Scott, take it away. Hey guys, so MLW Battle Riot at a sold-out Melrose Ballroom in Queens on a Thursday night. They say capacity is about 800, but the ring was in there, so it might have been less. But let's say it was between five and 800, which is a fantastic showing for a Thursday night. 
The show started off on a down note, though, as we found out that Bandito, the former ROH champion, who was supposed to challenge MLW champion Alex Hammerstone for the title, was not going to make it. They said it was because of an injury, but I have a feeling it was probably something with travel. We were also told that the Von Erich boys, who were supposed to compete in a tag team match later in the night against the SST, they were not going to be there. They said injuries were the reason for that as well, though I think it might be a travel issue for them too. Show started with Cesar Duran, the heel authority figure, coming out and saying that even though Bandito wasn't there, Alex Hammerstone was going to lose his title tonight to his two masked jabroni henchmen. Hammerstone came out and said he'd love to see them try, so they jumped him. Hammerstone immediately nailed one of them with his finisher, the Nightmare Pendulum, and pinned him. At that point, Richard Holiday, his former best friend who had turned on him a couple of months ago, ran out and attacked him. And then Cesar Duran said that there would be a match later in the night in place of Bandito versus Hammerstone. It would be Hammerstone versus Holiday for the title. Falls count anywhere. Show open with Casey Navarro versus Mini Abismo Negro. This was the only unadvertised match on the show. A decent enough opener. Navarro won with a slice bread number two. The former Enzo took on Jacob Fatu. I didn't really love the use of Fatu here, but it did further the Enzo character because basically what happened here is Enzo jumped Fatu from behind, was nailing him with a weapon in his leg, was cheating the entire way, and then as soon as Fatu got the upper hand, Enzo low-blowed him for the DQ, so this really ended up being more of an angle than a match. Next matchup was an MLW Openweight Championship match between Davey Richards, the former ROH champion and Impact star, against Alex Kane, the current MLW Openweight champion. Story here is that it was a rematch from a previous time limit draw that they had had. Davey Richards and Alex Kane both mostly wrestle mat-based and strong style, so that's what you saw here. Kane's gimmick is that he's a suplex guy. The end came when Kane gave Richards a suplex. He no-sold it, popped back up, was able to go on the offense, got a double stomp and a gotch pile driver to get the win and the MLW Openweight Championship. So there is your title change. A really good match here. Like I said, nothing fancy, but well worked, and a title change, and the crowd was happy with it. Scarlett Bordeaux made her MLW debut against Clara Carreras. This was a glorified squash match and a showcase for Scarlett Bordeaux. She's not the greatest in the ring, but she looks like a million bucks, and she and Killer Cross are an incredible pair that WWE dropped the ball with. I'll talk about that a little bit later when I get to Killer Cross. She won with the Kryptonite Crunch, which is a backwards version of the Tombstone Piledriver. Taya Valkyrie was being interviewed, and she got attacked from behind by Brittany Blake. They had to drag Brittany Blake to the back. This was to set up a title match that was going to happen later in the night. Then we got the title match between Alex Hammerstone and Richard Holiday, who was with his real-life girlfriend, Alicia Atut. This was false count anywhere. Good story here as... Holiday had attacked Hammerstone earlier in the night, as I said, and so Hammerstone's ribs were taped up. Good psychology as they did a couple of power moves because Hammerstone is a big, powerful guy, but he wasn't able to get Holiday up because his ribs would give out. They fought all over the place. At one point, Holiday, who, to help set up the intrigue for this match, had gotten a pin on Hammerstone in a six-man tag match on the go-home show of MLW TV, becoming the first guy to pin Hammerstone in an MLW ring in three years. He hit his finishing move, the 2008, which is some sort of combination of a swinging neck breaker and a vertical suplex. He hit that off the top rope, but 
couldn't cover him right away, so Hammerstone was able to kick out. Finally, Hammerstone went on the offensive and was able to put Holiday in the torture rack and get him to tap out. Really good match, good psychology, and this seemingly put an end to the Richard Holiday feud because afterwards Hammerstone was being interviewed. He was asked what was next for him. EJ and Duco, one half of the MLW Tag Champs, who was a friend of Hammerstone's, came out. He said he wanted a shot at the title. He thought it would be a good Titan versus Titan type of match. Hammerstone said he's not a guy that ever backs down from a fight, so let's get it on. And Duca smiled, shook his hand, and then as Hammerstone continued the interview, and Duca turned back around and nailed him with a belt, laid him out, put him through a table. I didn't really understand this one, honestly. Why is EJ and Duca turning on Hammerstone after Hammerstone granted him the title shot? You'd think maybe he'd do it if Hammerstone had been resistant to it, but this just didn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. Plus, I don't like the fact that this is the second friend to turn on Hammerstone in such a short period of time. The holiday turn made sense because they'd been paired together for years, and so it was a slow burn. Within Duca, the friendship was relatively new, and also Hammerstone looks like a complete chump getting turned on unexpectedly two times in a row. You would think that the babyface wouldn't be such a dope to fall for that repeatedly. So that's one thing that I kind of had a quibble with here, although I generally do really like Court Bauer's booking. Next up was a MLW middleweight championship match with Myron Reed versus La Estrella from Dragon Gate, Lince Dorado, who you may remember from WWE, and Ares. This was your typical car crash match. It was perfect for this show because it was the only one of its kind on the show. So it wasn't like you were just seeing a bunch of indie flippy stuff. In the end, Myron Reed retained the title with a springboard diamond cutter. By the way, the story with Reed is he's a member of the Beaumayet Fight Club. He turned heel recently, so he's with Alex Kane and Mr. Thomas. MLW announced that they were going to be getting an action figure deal with Boss Fight Studio. So if you're into those, you're probably going to want to pick some up. Next up, the Samoan SWAT team were in action. They were supposed to face Devon Eriks, like I said, but they weren't there. So instead, they got local favorites, Los Maximos, the SAT, who are from Queens. Didn't go well for them, though. It was a solid match, but in the end, it was Juicy Fanu who stacked both guys on his back, dropped them with a Samoan drop, and then Lance Anawai finished it with a Superfly splash for the pin. After that, Vladimir, the super fan, who you may have seen in a million wrestling events, got honored. The crowd really liked that. They gave him a plaque. It was a nice moment. It was the Battle of the Crosses next, Killer Cross versus Matt Cross. Killer Cross came out with Scarlet as his valet. It was a short match. He ended up winning with the backdrop driver. This is a match that was really just the way to get Killer Cross over as, well, a killer. And he and Scarlet are just a fantastic duo together. As I said, they have a presence. They have it. And if they're going to be sticking around for a while, I really think that those two should be pushed to the moon because they both look like a million bucks. And Killer Cross just seems so much like the karate bad boy Mike Barnes from Karate Kid 3 to me. And if you put him with a hot chick, he is the ultimate 80s villain. So I love him as a badass heel here in MLW and eventually turning him into a badass babyface because you know that's often what happens with a badass heel. Taya Valkyrie had her match with Brittany Blake. It was an okay back and forth. Ultimately, Taya locked in an STF camel clutch combination and got the submission victory to retain the MLW Women's Featherweight title. Afterwards, she was being interviewed. Sexy Star 2 appeared on the screen and said she was coming to MLW and was going to be challenging Taya Valkyrie for the championship. And then finally, guys, the main event, the Battle Riot. 40 men, one minute between entrance 
And the rule is it's not just over the top eliminations. You can also eliminate somebody by pinfall or submission. There were a couple of fun twists and turns here. The first two guys were the tag team champions, EJ and Duca and Calvin Tankman. They didn't lock up before Mr. Thomas came out. Microman was number six and got a huge ovation. Fans really loved him. Kim Chi came out at number 10. If you remember, Kim Chi used to bring Kamala to the ring. That part was played by Steve Lombardi, the Brooklyn Brawler, but clearly this guy was not the Brooklyn Brawler. Killer Cross came out at number 12, and he did a lot of damage, eliminated a bunch of guys. We'll come back to him a little bit later. Mike, your old friend Gangrel was in this one at number 15. He looks a little older, but can still really get it done in the ring. couple spots before him, though, Sammy Callahan came out as a surprise, got a really big pop. Little Guido was number 18, and as I'm sure you can imagine, the crowd really loved him. Homicide was a nice surprise at number 23. Again, in New York, you always have to figure he's going to get a big reaction, and on this night, he certainly did. Mance Warner, who had been in MLW before, he's bounced around the Indies quite a bit. He made an appearance at number 36. Savio Vega appeared in this twice, first as Quang, the failed weird ninja gimmick that he did in WWE, and then as himself later. Makes sense because I think he's an agent for MLW. At number 40, a surprise, Parker Bordeaux, who was Harland in NXT, former football player. He had recently been released, so he was the last guy in. The final four ended up being Killer Cross, Enzo, Sammy Callahan, and Jacob Fatu. The story here is that Enzo had been playing the scheming cowardly heel the entire time. He would intermittently slide under the rope to avoid getting beaten up by the guys who were really starting to dominate. He would wait until somebody else knocked down one of the bigger guys like, say, Fatu, and then he would pounce. And so Callahan and Enzo were on the apron and it looked like Callahan was going to eliminate Enzo, but Killer Cross threw him out. Enzo comes back in. He and Killer Cross start to scheme together, but then Enzo tries to turn on Killer Cross. Killer Cross goes to get him, but Jacob Fatu knocks him out of the ring. Killer Cross starts going crazy. I think they're probably setting up a feud between Killer Cross and Fatu, which will be awesome because those two guys are great. The final two guys are Enzo and Jacob Fatu. They did a really clever ending here. There was a ref bump. And after the ref bump, Fatu threw Enzo out of the ring. But because the ref was down, Enzo ran back in, snuck up behind Fatu, low-blowed him, threw him out, woke up the ref, and raised his hand as if he had won. But before the referee could turn around to see if there was actually nobody left in the ring, Fatu had come back in, grabbed Enzo, threw him over the top, and was declared the winner. So it ended with Fatu celebrating with the SST in the ring. Now he gets an automatic title shot. But it looks like Fatu is headed for a feud with Killer Cross in any event. Overall, really, really good show. I really enjoyed myself. I love MLW. I'm looking forward to watching these episodes on TV as Fusion. Can't recommend enough going to see MLW live. The production is excellent. They put up all the big screens. They have that Titantron looking screen that all the guys come out to to make the atmosphere feel a lot bigger. It's not a big building, but if you film it right, it looks like a much bigger deal than it actually is. And Court Bauer really knows how to do that. I think his background working for WWE and UFC certainly helped out there. So two thumbs up, guys. And if I could sum up the event in one word, I would quote our favorite singer, Glenn Goza, R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, the boss called me up and said, come in to work. I just hung up on that slave-driving jerk. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. 
Well, you think I'd rather be sweating on a dock or watching somebody use a hammerlock? I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, I love to watch the missing link bang his head on a corner post and the romper bumper butt butt delivered by the ice man. The Freebirds, Roberts, Hayes, and Gardy, but what I like the most is Kerry delivering the iron claw as only the Vaughn Ericks can. Well, the boss called again, said it's time and a half. You'll come in tonight, and I just had to laugh. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, my girlfriend called, and friends, she could be a model for Fredericks of Hollywood, but she was hassling, really hassling. Said I could come over early and stay real late, but I told her, honey, if we have a date, we're going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Kevin Von Erich, when he's really high and flying, I like to see Ric Flair, but he's out there strutting. Andre the Giant must be seven foot nine. Well, I wouldn't miss this for a dozen girls, and I wouldn't miss this for nothing. I said, honey, I hope you ain't hurt. She said, I'm putting on my wrestling shirt. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, last night I dreamed my life was over. There was golden streets and fields of clover and the lights, they were dazzling. I looked for old St. Peter at the pearly gates. I found a note that said, I won't be too late. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. There's gentleman Chris Adams with his super kick in place. Young Mike Von Erich with his own iron claw. And I'll never forget the classic matches of the 70s and 80s. Two champions, Harley Race and David Von Erich. St. Peter told me as he let me in, from now on, every Monday and Friday, Glenn, we're going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, if I'd known this was going to happen, I wouldn't have bought those advanced tickets. By the way, St. Pete, are you sure these wings will fit in a ringside seat? Is Fritz coming up here anytime soon?